0: This morning, I want to talk to you about the resurrection revelation. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that is extremely informational, very instructional, but supremely inspirational. It's a passage of Scripture that we have covered before over the years. It's a passage of Scripture that's very familiar to most of us. And yet it opens the door for us to understand the power of the revelation Of God's holy word. We have just done a series entitled, God's Revelation Is Your Resolution, based on Proverbs 29, verse number 18, that without a revelation, the people will perish, but happy is the man who keeps the law. The revelation of God is absolutely transformational, it does what nothing else can do. And upon the resurrection of our Lord, we realize that His word is so supreme that the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2:13, it effectually works in those who believes. In other words, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's word does a supreme and unique work in your heart. Every time you read it, every time you hear it preached, God's word does something unique and special because it is the power of the word of God. The question comes in, upon the resurrection of Christ, why is it he only appeared to a few people? Why wouldn't he go to the temple? I mean, after all, he could go to the temple where the veil was in two at his crucifixion and stand there and say, hey, listen, I've given you access into the presence of my Father. You now have access. I have risen from the dead just like I said. I'm here. The question comes, why didn't Jesus do that? Why only appear to a few nondescript believers? Well, Jesus tells us why. He told us through a story he told about a rich man And Lazarus, when the rich man from Hades says to father Abraham, I beg you, father, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Listen carefully. The power was not in the resurrection of the Savior. The power was in the revelation of the Scriptures. Please understand that. The power was not, and it was a miracle, it was a mighty working power that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But comparatively speaking, The power was not in the resurrection of the Savior. The power is in the revelation of the Scriptures. We need to understand the supremacy and the authority and the veracity of God's holy word. In Luke's Gospel, the last chapter, chapter 24, you're going to come to understand that. And I'm going to give you 10 words this morning. 10 simple words that will take us through this text to explain to you the resurrection revelation. It begins this way in verse number 13 of Luke chapter 24. And behold, we'll stop right there. And behold, the first word is time. I want to talk to you about the time. It's very important as to when this event takes place. And this event is going to unveil to us the power of the Word of God. Luke says, behold. He says that 26 times in the Gospel of Luke. He says that eight times in the book of Acts. And he also wrote the book of Acts. So it's a favorite word of Luke, but it's a word that says, look out, something unexpected is about to happen. So the time is centered around something that's going to happen unexpectedly, which is very true because these two individuals on the road to Emmaus did not expect Jesus to show up. They did not expect that. In fact, if you realize that the disciples later this night in Luke 24, they also did not expect Jesus to show up, even after hearing the testimony of the women. That's why they were behind closed doors and they were locked. And Jesus would go through the door and present himself to the apostles. But the timing is very unique. Why? Because it's all about the coming of the Messiah. To unveil himself. To reveal himself. And to show the power of his word that had already been spoken. And they missed it. The disciples were people who really didn't expect Jesus to do much of anything. I mean, in... Mark chapter 6, after defeating the 5,000, Jesus sent them out into a boat in the middle of the sea. He went up into the mountain to pray. And then there was this great, great storm that took place on the sea and the disciples feared for their lives. So Jesus, seeing them in the middle of the night from the mountain, seeing them straining at the oars in the midst of this storm, would come to them on the sea he would walk to them on the water and when they saw him they were afraid because they thought it was a ghost they thought they'd really seen a ghost they didn't expect Jesus to show up in the midst of their crisis but he did and that's how you and I live our lives we live in the in the realm of the unexpected We don't expect Jesus to show up and do what it is only he can do. And yet, he is always present with us. And so the time is very, very important. The time talks about the power of the resurrected Savior. And so you move from the time to point number two, and that is the two. The two men, or two individuals. It says, and behold, two of them were going that very day. Stop right there. To who? Who are the them? Well, they are part of the rest in verse number 9 in Luke 24. So we know that they are disciples. They're not apostles. We know one name. The name is Cleopas. So we know his name, but we don't know the other person's name. And we know nothing else about Cleopas except this situation. And the other person, no one knows their name. No one knows. who. Could it be a brother? Maybe. Could it be his wife? Maybe. Could it be a sister? Maybe. Could it be a dear friend? We don't know. There were just two of them. Two of the rest... Of verse number 9, meaning that they were disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have the time, and then you have the two, and then you have the town. It says, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now you would know nothing about Emmaus if it wasn't for the story. It's not like Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, prophesied of the Old Testament in the book of um, uh, Micah. It's, it's not like Jerusalem, the city of peace, or Jericho, or even Capernaum, or Nazareth, or Cana of Galilee. It's Emmaus. We don't even know where it is today. There is speculation of to where it might be, but no one really knows where Emmaus is. But we do know it was seven miles from Jerusalem. That's very important to the story. Seven miles is a long way if you're walking. If you're riding a bike, not so long. If you're driving a car, pretty easy. But if you're walking, seven miles is a long journey. But Emmaus is the town. And it's only known because of this event. Because this event tells us about the power of the revelation of God. And this is the resurrection revelation. The fourth thing I want you to see is the talk, there's the time. Then there is the two, the town, and the talk. It says these words. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. There was this conversation. Now, you got seven miles to journey, right? A lot of time to talk. And so they would converse about what? All these things. What things? Everything centered around the arrival of the Messiah in the city. On Monday, the previous week. On Tuesday, when he he cleansed the temple and began to teach. On Wednesday and Thursday, when he would begin to to answer questions and, and, and proclaim the message of truth about his coming again, and then there was his arrest. There was his trial, his scourging, his beating, his crucifixion. They're talking about these things. They're not talking about trivial things. They're not having a conversation about something that doesn't really matter. It's a conversation about something that's extremely important. It's all about what has taken place over the past week. That's what they're talking about. And lo and behold, point number five, you have the traveler. The traveler. We call them that because they don't know it's Jesus. We do. We have the story. They didn't know it was Jesus. To them, it was just another traveler. Passover was filled with thousands of pilgrims. And so here is this one, as the text says, which says, and while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. He is the traveler. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Remember, in Luke 10, verse number 22, Jesus made it very clear that the only people who recognize him are the ones to whom he reveals himself. He's in his resurrected, glorified body. Mary Magdalene didn't even recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. So these men did not recognize Jesus. He wanted it that way. Why? Because he wanted them to understand the power was not because of the man, but because of the message. Very important. The power was not because of the miracle surrounding the man. The power was because of the message the man would speak. Remember, when he came into Jerusalem on that Monday, that triumphal entry, When everybody would wave the branches and take off their cloaks and put them down in front of the donkey, signifying submission to this one who is the king, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A quotation from from the book of Psalms, twice there, a title given to the Messiah as the coming one. They recognized him as the coming one. And so they would wave palm branches and they would take off their garments so that he could walk over them, indicating their submission to this king. But Luke 19 tells us they praised him because of the miracles, not because of his message. Christ wanted them to understand the message of the gospel because the power is in the message. Yes, Christ is almighty. Christ is all-powerful. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants. He is the omnipotent king. But on this day, he wants them to see the power in the revelation about the resurrection. And so the text tells us Jesus began traveling with them. They did not recognize him. He said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? He asked a question. Not because he needs information. Not because he didn't know. Oh, he knew exactly what they were talking about. But he wants to elicit a response. He wants them to be able to respond to him. Like any great teacher, he's going to ask questions. So he asked the question, what are you guys talking about? Let me in on the conversation. And Cleopas responds. And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Are you completely unaware? Are you completely, listen carefully. Ignorant of all that's taken place. How do you miss this? But the ironic thing is, they were the ones who missed it. Not Jesus. They missed him. And so they want to they tell him, look, where have you been? Don't you understand what has taken place over these last few days? You see, He wants them to hear his words. He could have revealed himself to them. He could have said, I am Jesus, and let them know who he was. But that's not what he wanted to do. Because for three years, they were with him. And for three years, they did not listen. Because if they would have listened, they would have known what had taken place they would have known for certain of the resurrection. But as you see, they did not listen to all that the prophets said. I got news for you. Listening to partial truth or listening partially to truth is not nearly good enough. If you only know some truth, you're going to be sad. Because these guys are sad. They're distraught. They're downcast. They're in despair. Why? Not because they didn't know about Jesus. They knew about Jesus. But they didn't know all they needed to know about Jesus. Because once they knew all they needed to know, no more sadness. No more depression. No more disparity. There was complete joy. The power of the Word of God. Once the Word of God is known, it changes everything about your life. But if you don't know the Word of God, you're in deep trouble. And these were disciples of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. And so Jesus, in verse 19, says, what things? What are you talking about? What things? Now, he knows the things. He knows all the events. He orchestrated all the events. He was in charge of all the events. He knew exactly all that was going to happen precisely as it took place. But he wants them to speak and listen to their answer. They said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene. Isn't that a great response? Jesus, the Nazarene. Not, not Jesus the Messiah, not Jesus the King, but Jesus the Nazarene. Remember when they came to get him in the garden in John chapter 18, and Christ went to go meet them at the entryway to the garden? He says, whom do you seek? What was their response? Jesus. The Nazarene. A term of derision. Why? Well, book of Matthew, second chapter, says that after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called A Nazarene. What good thing comes out of Nazareth? And so when they ask about what things, they begin with Jesus the Nazarene. When the soldiers came to get Jesus, and he asked them, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus the Nazarene. He said, I am. And they all fell over backwards. And the the miracle of that whole thing is that they got back up again. And he asked the same question again. Who is it you seek? The same response, Jesus the Nazarene. It was a term of derision. And so they say, Jesus the Nazarene, who was what? A prophet. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes, he was. In fact, Deuteronomy 18 tells us that there will be one who is coming who is a greater prophet than Moses ever was, and you're to listen to him. Key phrase, listen to the prophet that's greater than Moses. And Jesus was that prophet. And then they say, mighty in deed and word. Oh, he was. They saw his miracles. Never a man spoke like this man spoke. He was mighty indeed in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But his leaders didn't crucify him. Jews don't crucify people. Jews stone people. The Romans crucify people. But they saw themselves as part and partial to all that took place. Then they say this. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. All the infamous but, the butologies of Scripture. But, but we were expecting Jesus to do what we wanted Him to do, and He didn't do it. We wanted a political ruler. We wanted a military ruler. We wanted a social ruler. We didn't need a spiritual redeemer. We wanted a ruler who would come in and overthrow Rome. And so on that triumphal entry day, we thought, this is it. Here he comes. He's going to go in and overthrow everybody in the palace. But he didn't. Instead, he turned over the money changers in the temple. He ran everybody out of the temple. He didn't do anything they expected him to do. Why? Because of their perception of the Messiah. Listen, if you have a misperception of the Messiah, you're going to miss the Messiah. And they wanted a a ruler that would redeem them from Roman oppression. So many times we come to church expecting Jesus to do something for us. We don't go to see Jesus for who he is. We go expecting Jesus to do something for us because we perceive that some way, somehow, he's going to fix my troubled life. He's going to fix all my emotions. If I rub him the certain way, he's going to fix my marriage. Everything's going to be so much better because I'm at church and Jesus is going to meet my expectations. Peter had the same expectations after making that great confession in Matthew 16, that what the Christ, the son of the living God. And Christ says, oh, Simon, that's so great. My father revealed to you, but don't shh, tell anybody. Instead, tell him this. The Messiah is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be scourged. He's going to die. He's going to rise again on the third day. And Peter said, oh, no, 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 no. You must not know who you are. Jesus, you've missed the Old Testament. Jesus, you don't know your own identity. You're the Messiah. No one's going to kill you. You are the son of the living God. I just made that statement. And you affirmed that statement. And now you're telling me you're going to die. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. You got your mission all wrong. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because you don't have in mind the things of God, only the things of man. Peter had a misperception of the Messiah. It's no wonder these disciples had a misperception of the Messiah. And they say this, Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. It's the third day. Where is Jesus? Standing right in front of them. It's the third day. He hasn't shown up. We haven't seen him. What happened? They were sad. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us, that's Peter and John, went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also said, but him they did not see. These are the things we're talking about. Jesus Nazarene, the prophet, the one who didn't meet our expectations, the one who did things completely different than we thought he was going to do. And it is the third day, but we haven't seen him. So you move from the time to the two, to the town, to the talk, to the traveler. You move to the tongue lashing. Listen to what Jesus says. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You fools. You morons. You are senseless. And you are slow because you are selective in what you believe. Think about that. How senseless we are, how slow we are when we are selective in what we hear and want to hear and what we believe or what we want to believe. In other words... Instead of believing all that the prophets said, you were very selective in what you wanted to hear. Oh, you loved the triumph, you didn't love the tragedy. You loved the glory, you just didn't love the gory. You wanted things to go your way, but they went God's way. I'm sorry. Oh, you foolish men. Remember, they don't know this is Jesus, this is just a traveler. And so he's going to give them a tongue lashing. Oh, you morons. You are senseless. And you are slow. Because you did not believe in all that the prophets that spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? So he goes from the tongue lashing the next point, which is to the truth. The truth. Was it not necessary? Did you not understand? Did you not get it? Did you not read about it? And that was something that Jesus said over and over and over again. In fact, if if you go back to the, the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter Chapter 12, the question came to Jesus. The question came to Jesus. In verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the, the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he, Jesus, said to them, Have you not read? What David did, verse number five, or have you not read in the law that the Sabbath, that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? In other words, I want to take you back to what you should already know. Have you not read? And then over in chapter 19 of Matthew, the question comes about divorce And he says, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? But he answered and said to them, have you not read? You have the Old Testament. You didn't read this? And he goes on to explain what God's law was concerning divorce. And then that, that week of his his crucifixion, or, yeah, the week that he was going to die. It says in, in Matthew chapter 22, when the Sadducees came and asked him about the resurrection, he says these words, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? In other words, have you not read? See, that's the answer to every question. Someone says, I need your view on homosexuality. Your answer, have you not read? Because there's an authority on what God says about homosexuality. When someone comes and says, what's your view on on transgenderism? You say, have you not read? See, my opinions are relevant. What God says is tremendously relevant. When someone comes and asks a question about the eternality of hell or the existence of hell or the existence of God, we say, have you not read? It comes down to reading the truth and believing the truth. When you discipline your children and they say, why do you spake me, daddy? You say, have you not read? The answer is in the book of Proverbs. You just read it to them. That's always the answer when someone asks a question. You answer with a question, have you not read? It's right here. And so he says, oh foolish men, slow of heart. Your senses are slow because you're very selective in what you read, you're very selective in what you hear and what you listen to. That's why Jesus over and over again said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening? That's why Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, when you go into the house of God, guard your steps because you go there for one reason, to listen. Do you know that listening is the highest art in your worship experience? Learning to listen. Because you can't respond properly To God, you haven't heard. So when you go to the house of God, guard your steps, go there to listen. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, every letter to the church ends this way He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening? Christ said through the writer of Hebrews, Don't be sluggish, don't be dull. In your hearing. James chapter 1. Let every man be swift to the hearing of the word. Slow at speaking the word. And even slower at becoming angry at the word. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So be very quick to the hearing of the word. That's why our Lord said to Mary in Luke 10. She has chosen the better part. She has chosen to sit and listen. He gives these men a tongue lashing, and then he gives them the truth. Was it not necessary? Did you not read about this? How did you miss this? How did you not get this? So he gives them the truth, and he says these words, or says this is word verse 27 then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures so you go from the truth to point number I believe it's 8 the theme what's the theme himself he begins to explain to them he takes them back to the law the torah He takes them back to the prophets, major and minor, to help them understand that everything in the Old Testament would point to the Messiah. Did they not know that Jesus was the Son of God? Yeah, they knew that. Did they not know that he was the Son of David? Yeah, they knew that. Did they not know that he was the Son of Man? Yeah, they got that. What did they not know about the atonement? The whole Passover celebration was about the atoning work of God. And how God would send the ultimate sacrifice. What did they miss? How did they, they not get Davidic and Abrahamic promise? Oh, they got that. They just didn't get the gory part. They didn't want to hear about the death thing. Even though Jesus would say it over and over and over again, they were like, mm can't hear you, can't hear you. They would begin to argue about who was the greatest in the kingdom. They said, Lord, we don't want to hear about that. They don't want to hear about death. Nobody wants to talk about death. The study of thanatology, great study. But Jesus was going to die. A dead Messiah did them no good. A dead Messiah doesn't take them out of Roman oppression. They need a living Messiah. So a dead Messiah was not a part of their conversation. They didn't want to believe all that the prophets said about a dead Messiah. They just wanted a living Messiah a political, military ruler. So he takes them back to the Old Testament because the whole Old Testament is centered around one person, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior, the Messiah. It's all about Christ. And yes, very clearly in the Old Testament, it talks about the death of the Messiah whether it's Psalm 22, whether it's Daniel chapter 9, whether it's Zechariah chapter 12, it speaks clearly about the death of the Messiah. But they were very selective in what they read and very selective in what they listened to. But you will note that the reason they were sad, the reason they were depressed was because they were not willing to listen to all that the prophets said. Think about that. Think about your life. Think about your attitude. Think about your distressed, despairing spirit. Think about the times that you're down. Think about the times that you are out of it and you're sad. Very, very possibly could be it's simply because you are unwilling to listen to all that the prophets have said because the word of god consoles see that's that's the next point because the next point point number 9 is the transformation he's going to transform their depression into jubilation He's gonna transform their bad attitude and give them a glorious, great attitude. He's gonna take them from the the pit of despair and raise them to the palace of delight by only, listen, only revealing the truth, by only giving them the theme, himself. Himself. Because, you see, what transforms them, listen carefully, is not the Messiah. It's the message that it gives because, you see, they don't know he's the Messiah. They have no idea who this guy is. And so as you read on, it says this. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though though he were going farther. But they urged him saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. There's something unique about the believer, listen carefully, about the believer who doesn't want to stop listening to truth. The believer wants to hear more and more truth. They don't want to stop. No, no, no. Where are you going to go? Come back here. It's getting toward night. You got to be here with us. Stay with us. We want to hear more about what you have to say. We don't want to be slow of heart, we don't want to be senseless. We don't no longer want to be selective. Explain to us more. That's the heart of the believer. He just can't get enough truth. He wants more and more truth. And this is their attitude. Remember, they had no idea this is Jesus. They'd heard him for three years and evidently didn't listen very well to what he said. So you read on. It says, so he went and stayed with them. And when he reclined at the table with them, he did the bread and blessed it and breaking it, and he began giving it to them. He became the host. Why is that? He begins to serve the meal. Why is that? Because they weren't going to eat. Listen, when you are so enamored with the Messiah, your physical needs take secondary, or not primary, they're secondary, to spiritual things. And these guys, they weren't going to eat. They just wanted to hear spiritual truth. I know some of you are sitting here thinking, boy, I hope he gets done because I got bagels here just in a few minutes or donuts or, or coffee or something. You got to get done so I can go get something to eat. Not these guys. They, they just wanted to be there. They wanted more and more truth. They could not live without the truth. Give us more, give us more, give us more. So Jesus takes on the role of hosts, he begins to break bread and blessed it. How did he do that? Our Father, who art in heaven. The way he began to pray. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. How did that happen? What was it in, in the breaking of the bread that allowed himself to be revealed? Was it when He handed the bread to them that his robe would go up and they would see the nail scars in his wrist? Maybe? Didn't say that. Maybe. But our Lord allowed himself to be seen. And then he vanished, just like that. And what was the response? Wow! Did you see Jesus? Jesus is risen, He's right here! Oh, man, this is so great. We got to Instagram this, man. We got to get it out there. This is amazing. We just saw Jesus. No, that's not the response. Listen to their response. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts ablaze with fire? Jeremiah twenty nine thirty two. God's word is like a fire, right? Our hearts were set ablaze, not because we saw him, but because we heard what he said as he explained the revelation of God to us. The power. Was not in the resurrected Savior. The power was in the revelation of the Scriptures. See that? That's the power of the Word of God. It's transformational. You see, we think we gotta go hear this speaker because this speaker's popular and he's really good and and he can really deliver the goods. We gotta go hear this guy. Uh Uh-uh. You just gotta go hear the guy who gives you the truth. That's it. The guy who explains the truth. That's it. That's who you gotta go hear. Because he's going to open God's word and explain it to you. And that's exactly what had happened. And that's what set the heart ablaze. Did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us? When he unveiled to us the Old Testament? That's when everything was on fire. That's why we wanted him to stay. We didn't want him to stay because it was Jesus. That would be a good thing. They wanted him to stay because of how he explained to them the truth of the living, living God. Then you go to point number 10, and this is the testimony. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. How far is that? Seven miles. How fast can you run seven miles? How long is it going to take you to get back to Jerusalem? It's nighttime. There are no streetlights. Okay? So they got to run in the dark back to Jerusalem. And it says, And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. What a testimony. Let me tell you about their testimony real quick. Their testimony was undeniable. Undeniable. When you understand truth, you understand that that truth is undeniable. They would never deny the resurrected Christ again. Not only that, it was uncontainable. Uncontainable. You could not contain them. They quickly got up and they ran. And if you read the book of Acts, you see it's uncontainable. Then it was undiminishable. The fire never went out. Once the word of God sets your heart ablaze, the fire is undiminishable. And that's how they were. Just read the book of Acts. They were on fire for the Lord. Ask yourself, are you on fire for the Lord? Do you deny him? The truth, undeniable, uncontainable, undiminishable, unforgettable. Do you think they ever forgot what was told them? Do you think they ever forgot what the Old Testament said about the necessity of the Christ to suffer these things and to die and rise again? No, they never forgot that. Because once your heart's were set ablaze by the Word of God, you don't forget. It was unmeasurable. You can't measure a supernatural living Word of God in human terms. Because once it takes effect, it affects all of you, not just part of you. It was unnegotiable. Never did they ever negotiate with anybody about the resurrected Christ. Never did they ever negotiate with somebody about the truth of God's word. Because God's truth is unnegotiable. God's word is unshakable. And these men were unshakable. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, did they ever sit back in fear? Oh, no. Why? Why? Their heart had been set ablaze by the truth. And when that happens, you are resilient. You are unshakable. Great peace have those who love thy law. And absolutely nothing will ever cause them to stumble. Psalm 119, 165. And truth understood is unshakable. Restrainable. In other words, the songs they sang, the words they spoke could not be restrained any longer. It was a bursting forth of truth. And as you read the book of Acts, they began to spread God's truth everywhere. That's the power of the Word of God. That's the resurrection revelation. Men who were depressed downtrodden they knew the old testament they had heard jesus they had walked with jesus but they were depressed because they did not understand and believe all that was spoken my friends the never-ending search of the truth should be your chief pursuit in life above all else For once you know what God says, everything in your life changes. Just like it did for these men. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for today. The opportunity we have to look once again at the resurrection of our Lord. Truly, Lord, you are a great God and you alone are worthy of praise. We are here today to say thank you for opening our eyes. Revealing yourself to us through your word. That we might understand it and follow you. May this be a day where everything is changed, because having heard the truth, our hearts are on fire for our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.